Today's episode is with the co-founder of a project in crypto, which is creating a decentralized internet, the people's internet. Today's guest went from being a rocket scientist to co-founding Threefold. Don't miss this interview with Vanen Kuypers. Stay tuned. Welcome to the New to Crypto podcast, designed to guide you through the crypto landscape with pinpoint accuracy, created for the new and intermediate crypto investor. Join your host, Crypto Travels Michael, as he takes you through the different facets of getting started and succeeding in your crypto journey. New to Crypto podcast brings you new episodes daily, Monday through Friday, with surprise bonus episodes sometimes on the weekend. Let me ask you, are you new to crypto? Don't know where to start? Are you more experienced but have questions? Then you're in the right place. This podcast is designed for you. Coming at you from the Trading Center in the Lifestyle Design Studio, here's your host, Crypto Travels Michael. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. You can store, manage, and grow your portfolio, get NFTs, and multi-chain support. Download the Brave Privacy Browser at brave.com slash new to crypto and click on the wallet icon to get started. Hey, I have an exciting episode today and I have an amazing guest I'm really interested to share with you. I have Vaynan from Threefold. Vaynan, I'd like to welcome you to the podcast. How are you doing today? Thanks for joining us. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. It's been a fantastic day today, and I hope we can get a lot of information in this podcast. And I'm really excited to give you all the laydown of what Freefall is. Awesome. Awesome. I'm excited to have you here. You're currently in Dubai, yes? I am. And, and believe it or not, it's been raining for two weeks. This is very exceptional never seen before in the last decade and and since new year we've had a lot of rain which causes a lot of mess to be honest because they're not prepared for rain at all okay well can you tell us a little bit about yourself and about threefold because i understand you know i know that you're one of the co-founders of threefold but i want to share with our with our listeners and our audience as well if we can kind of unpack and paint a picture for them today sure my name is Wijnald Kuipers, I'm made in Holland quite a while ago, been in tech for most of my life, did an engineering degree in space technology, not really have done a lot with it because back in the day when I just got, of, got out of college, it wasn't a very fast moving industry. I would love to come out of college right now with that same degree and with SpaceX doing what they're doing, I think they're doing fantastic. Again, for me, not really feasible right now, but, but the thing is, I got into the early days of the internet and how the internet was really pushed forward and out of, let's say, the research institutions that it was invented in. And I really enjoyed that. That was something that I could see made a big change to people's life. And again, in the beginning, it was researchers and institutions that were sharing data amongst each other. Um, nowadays, if we look at what the internet is, it's a very different beast. It's all about commerce and it's all about us being able to connect to each other like we do right now. Again, we're, we're half a global way and we're still talking in a digital way and we're still recording and, and, and creating this podcast, which is fantastic. But that's me. I've, I've literally ran around data centers with screwdrivers and, and, and tried to fix things for large organizations and small organizations. Right now, 
at Threefold, as you said, which is um, a movement of people that, that try to sort of take the internet back to that origin, because right now it's a very, very centralized way of delivering digital services. They have built models around looking at us and, and collecting data about us. And, and again, that was never what the internet was about. And, and we at Threefold tried to build another foundation on which an internet can be built that is, again, decentralized and by people for people, as we have seen in the crypto world that also value exchanges are now being decentralized and no longer require the central components of banks. So we're doing it on a on a technology level. We're, we're doing it on a level that you actually can run applications in a decentralized way. And I'm sure we'll get into a bit more detail later on, but but it's it, it's very much more an IT play than a pure crypto play and a pure blockchain play. Those things are definitely a, a part of it, but we're trying to get back to that original state that I was lucky enough to, to, to see and to experience where it is content being created by people, shared to other people, and really no third parties were involved in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Wow. You're just taking me back uh, down memory lane. I remember the first 386 DOS computer that we had when I was growing up. Uh, I remember the AOL dial-up days. Having grown up in the United States, we had those discs. We got it every blockbuster. You know? Remember the crazy colors that those first pages were. They were all about crap, so crazy like colors. 30 minutes to load back in the day with the pixel count. <laughs> exactly. Know? Yeah. So at Threefold, you guys have a phrase that you're the the people's internet. So what is the people's internet? And, you know, how is a decentralized internet different from the regular internet that, that everybody knows today? Well, yeah, thank you for the question. I mean, it's a very good question. And, and again, it's all about that today we go to places to share information and to see what other people are sharing with us. And that third party in the middle, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to just say that whatever is there today is not right, because it's not true. I mean, I greatly benefited from, from all of the innovation that has happened, and I greatly benefit from all of the innovation that Google has done in terms of search and making the internet accessible. Because again, in the beginning, like you said, you had to know either the address, if you knew the URL, which was not necessarily very well known back then, you couldn't find the information, right? The information was just not exposed in a way that, that many people could consume it. And, and, and we've gone a long way to make it accessible for everybody to be consuming it. But also with that, it came to a degree of there's now a handful of organizations that really control it in the end. There's a handful of organizations that have the power of storing content of the internet and everybody that has content that they want to share or an application that they want to make available. It's one or two or three companies that people go to. And that is just not in the original spirit of the internet because it was meant, again, like I said earlier in the introduction, Researchers, that's how it came about, shared papers and results of what they researched with other researchers on the other end of the planet. And it was done in a way that it was very easy, but, but, but there were no parties in the middle. And what we're doing is giving the power of creating that. And again, it's going to be a little bit technical. I'm sorry, I'm a nerd. So if so, then please stop me or pull me up again. But 
you need to have this data processing and data storage capability that those large cloud providers give you today. And that we rely on to be there almost like electricity, like a utility that you just plug in whatever you want to present it to process as an application, and then it works. No real knowledge needed, which is fantastic and super easy, and people use it, and it's it's done a great deal for businesses and individuals. Mm -hmm. But... Again, it's processed at a third party. It's processed somewhere where it's not yours anymore. And what we're trying to do is to give the power of creating data processing and data storage capabilities to everyone by means of you own a piece of hardware. You get yourself any computer. And again, today, anything with an Intel or AMD CPU works. We're getting to cheaper and and lower grade computers like uh, Raspberry Pi and so on. We're doing all of that, but we're not there yet today. But we're giving the capability to create that cloud production capability that we now know from the Microsofts, the Googles, and the Amazons to everybody by making it so simple that it's all possible for people that don't have any IT skills, that don't have any skills in terms of being an administrator, doing all of the difficult things that they do in those data centers, And having those people present, and I always like to use the analogy of a solar panel, right? More and more and more, we're creating electricity decentralized as well. We still love the centralized production of electricity in coal or um, nuclear plants. I mean, whatever your country is that you're listening in, I mean, you're going to have one of those two. But more and more, we're going to put solar panels on our roof and we're going to consume what we produce and we're going to give back to the grid what we don't use. And... We at Threefold want to build and have built, I I should rephrase that, have built a model where you can get involved if you have ownership of something that produces a computer, a server, a laptop even, that produces data processing and data storage capabilities. You can now connect it to, similar to the electricity network, to a grid of networking, and you can start creating cloud capacity and share it out to the world. There's a few bits and bobs around it that that are specific. We don't believe in sharing capacity, so it's not an application that you install on your Mac or on your Windows laptop and you share a part of your computer out. No, no, it has to be dedicated because that's the only way that we can guarantee certain securities and certain access or non-access to data because once there is an OS that is not ours, then obviously we don't know what's happening with it. So, But that that's the model. We allow people to produce mm-hmm. actual internet capacity, cloud capacity. And then on the flip side of that, the consumption of it, almost like Airbnb, you own your house, you rent your house, you rent a room out. Mm-hmm. In this case, you rent your hardware out. Other people can consume it okay. and actually launch an application, store the data, and it's a community play. It's about localization of it because that's, and again, I've been talking for very long, so maybe the editors want to cut this out, but today we rely on a very small number of data centers that exist out there. And the number of data centers that the whole internet is sort of geared around is less than a thousand, believe it or not. And they all exist in the US, Europe, and Asia pack, right? That's why they exist. The rest of the world is connected by long cables, the network. Mm. That's just not right because if we think of the same model to be used with electricity, I mean, I would not have my electricity provider sit 6,000 kilometers away because that's just not very efficient. Yes. The internet today is, is fueled by that. The internet today has 
the generators of the content and the servers of the content sit 6,000 kilometers away of, from where you are, which is just not the right way. Mm. So we need to localize it. We need to be starting to produce that capacity inside our homes, inside our schools, inside our city halls, inside everywhere, decentralization, and then consume it locally, like, like we do with many things. Also, privacy for data as well, you know, that's, that's another, you know, important thing to many people. Yeah. yeah, definitely. I mean, right now we've got our data sitting in data centers where there's very smart administrators running around, but they have access, right? They also make it work, mm-hmm. which is a good part, but they also have access. And yes, you can encrypt it. And yes, you can do lots of things with it, but they do have access. Mm-hmm. And I think the right way of going back to it is that you have your own sovereign, and there's a lot of cryptography involved, and there's a lot of things involved in terms of making it, say, but once you get out of, and that's the real innovation or one of the real innovations that we bring, once you no longer need those administrators, because think about it, if and when you allow people to create like a solar panel, compute and storage capabilities in their homes, you can't rely on them managing that particular box. Mm -hmm. So we've gone to the nth degree to make that box autonomous and self-managed. And I can talk for hours about how we did that and how that technology is actually built. But Mm -hmm. In the end, it's a box within OS that exposes everything that's inside, CPU, memory, whatever it has as peripherals. And there's going to be large boxes and small boxes, and there's going to be uh, a lot of boxes together and a lot of boxes in a distributed way. Mm -hmm. But it just exposes that and stitches it together as a fabric of capacity that is needed, almost like an, I don't know, an exploded view of a data center, but then across a city or across a country or across a continent. Mm -hmm. And... Not having to maintain and manage that and keeping the actual people out of that box, not having any usernames and passwords, for example, not having a differentiation between system administrators that have all the access in the world and just users that can only consume applications or capacity. All of that we eradicated and we build a system that actually has the OS sitting there and doing what it needs to do. And then if and when it needs to do something new, that instruction comes from a blockchain. There's a blockchain which actually has a smart contract on it. Mm-hmm. And if and when that smart contract executes, mm-hmm. it might have an element inside that smart contract that says, I don't know, start a VM, start an application, stop an application. Whatever needs to be done on a system administration level mm-hmm. is executed through a smart contract on a blockchain. Wow. Which takes out the human element of actually people doing it for you, mm-hmm. which makes it so much safer, which makes it run autonomously, which makes it and gives it the ability to be self-healing. Because in the end, a blockchain is an immutable and always a pent source of data storage, right? So mm-hmm. if you want to start a certain application or IT architecture and you describe it in that smart contract, I want this, I want one database, two web servers, just and simple nerd talk in terms of what you want as an IT infrastructure. But you describe that, then that is your reality. You make those nodes, those servers executed based on the fact that they will find out what they need to be doing. And if and when, for whatever reason, one of those servers that executes it falls away, has a fault, is no longer available, power fails, network fails, whatever, that smart contract still knows what needs to happen. So if and when that capacity comes back, it can just re-execute what it needs to execute. Mm-hmm. If that capacity does not come back within a certain time frame, the smart contract can have 
a clause in there, a statement in there that if not available within the next five minutes, then recontract capacity elsewhere and restart that same element. So it's completely hands-off if and when you describe that smart contract in the right way and you create your IT application deployment in such a way that you can have it self-healing. Once you get there, and it took us a long while, I mean, this is not something we invented over the last three years. We've been added with different startups and different people in the R&D department that have been doing this and planning, not not planning, I couldn't say that because it's not been like we've written this on the white paper and then we started executing it. We've been in the IT business for the last two decades. So 20 years of innovation has gone into this. And at the end, we put it together in such a way that we said, we no longer want complexity. We no longer want all of those people involved. We no longer want those centralized parties involved. We want it to be by people for people and so it's a very long answer to your question but i hope you uh, you still get out of it what you want yeah no thank you for sh- uh, sharing and like unpacking that in in some detail in case our listeners missed it in the beginning your introduction i mean you you are a rocket scientist so we expect i am more yes. of a deep dive to understand and it's you know i i know that a lot of our listeners this is new you know a new internet to them or a decentralized internet to them in, uh, let me ask you this. Can you do everything on this new decentralized internet that you can do on the current one? Like uh, from a usability, from just a regular person, you know, going on Google, for example. Can you explain, you know, the differences or the similarities for everyone? Yeah. And again, thank you for the question. Is it, the internet, again, if we zoom out, is two things. There's the underlying, under the hood technology that we don't see that makes it all work together, which is that utility that is being used to run applications, to store our pictures that we take on our phones, that that does all of those things. And there's various providers that have found very neat and interesting ways of delivering that service to us. And then on top of that sits like a user interface, which we all experience on a daily basis as a consumer. What we've done is completely rebuilt that under the hood technology because that currently sits with a small number of providers that have done really well in in putting them in, in, in a position to deliver that, that have all the access and have all the revenues and have all the benefits of actually doing that because not really many people, and again, I don't mean this in a derogative way, don't take this the wrong way, but there aren't many people that understand how this all works together and how data is being rooted and how data is being stored there. And and sometimes you can see issues with that because some companies need to be able to guarantee that the data is stored within the US or within a certain region or there's governance principles. And, and it's difficult to get answers to real questions like, where is my data? So what we at Threefold have done is rebuild that engine that is under the hood let's say end user or enterprise or work experience on the top, hopping in a URL, going to a place where there's an application running or a software as a service running, having the ability to use a facility to store files or store my photos, whether it's Dropbox or, or iCloud of Apple. I mean, that we leave for other people to invent on top of this utility. So the best way to describe what we've done is we've recreated the engine that makes up the internet, both on the uh, the actual routing. It's not the networking because we still rely on any existing networking that exists out there. 
um, whether it's cable, whether it's fiber, whether it's satellite, whether it's, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We, we use that. But we've rebuilt that data processing and data um, storage layer to be done by people for people. So everybody can now, small, medium, large, super large, present a portion of that utility that is being used in a decentralized way. And again, similar to going back and repeat myself to now how we decentrally create electricity by using solar power, by using wind farms, by using, right? All of that is now in the hands of people to participate in making that utility electricity available on the grid. In our way, we create utility for data processing and data storage. We push it out on a grid and we still then need application developers, people that know how to create architectures to deploy a website, system integrators, all of the industries that have been built to build on top of existing clouds, they can now build in the same way, but it's still very technical and not for the end consumer or user, they can still build all of the, I don't know, Kubernetes, Terraform, uh, all of the technologies that are out there today, how to control and run your applications on the Google Cloud, on the Azure Cloud. They run in the same way on the three-foot grid. That's how we call it. Okay. So we replaced the engine in the car. It's still got the same steering wheel, it's still got the same shifter, the same <laughs> okay. brake. Everybody still knows what to do in the car. Brave Wallet is the first secure crypto wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. What's Web3? Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street. More control and better privacy. But there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. Most wallets are browser extensions, a Web2 technology. That means the same old risks, app spoofing, phishing scams, and theft. Brave Wallet is different. Brave Wallet is the first secure wallet built natively in a Web3 crypto browser. No extension required. With Brave Wallet, you can buy, store, send, and swap assets, manage NFTs, even connect other wallets and dApps, all from the security of the best privacy browser on the market. Whether you're new to crypto or a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions. It's time to switch to Brave Wallet. Download Brave at brave.com forward slash new to crypto and click on the wallet icon to get started. Okay, so... Do we build our websites in a different way? Do we need like a domain from unstoppable domains? Are we using the same browsers to access the, you know? The whole experience on the top side is the same. It's the same. Okay. It's the same. Because I know that's what people are going to, you know, they're, they're asking themselves, like, you know, this is great. This is awesome. But but how do we access it? Is it different? You know, um, so on the top side. No, nothing changes in that experience. I mean, but it comes from maybe your living room, right? Or, or that little computer on your coffee table that is going to be able to store. And again, there's, there's so much to tell about it, but it stores a part of the data you might store in the cloud in Dropbox like application. Mm -hmm. Some of it is going to end up on a small computer on your coffee table where you are. And I as you decide where I am right now, <laughs> I, that I don't know, but I'm just imagining. And again, we stitch it all together, and that's why I think it's also important to mention, if and when you present a utility, if and when you create 
that um, or a part of that fabric, your return, your reward is that you get rewarded in a token, right? Uh-huh. At the end of the month, we call it proof of capacity. We don't, again, there's lots of crypto and tokens out there that have proof of work, again, solving a puzzle. If you solve the puzzle the first, you get a reward. Mm-hmm. With us, it's, it's very simple. If you prove that you have capacity, again, computer, six cores, eight cores, uh, five terabytes of storage, mm-hmm. those are the numbers that you have to think in. The bigger, the more the reward is. But if you prove that it has been online for a month, and again, why a month? Because that's what the industry knows in, in the internet technology. They think in SLAs in months. So we also took a month. Mm-hmm. If you prove that that is online for a month and available for renting capacity and running applications for a month, mm-hmm. you get your reward. Nothing else to do. You turn it on, you keep it on, you make sure your network works, you make sure your power is there, you get your reward. A certain amount of three, four tokens. Those tokens are also the only way that you can reserve capacity on this grid, right? So somehow that needs to find, and again, we didn't do an ICO, we didn't do an IEO, we didn't do anything. All of these things are from the Genesis block, from the Genesis point of getting this into existence, mm-hmm. created by what we call farming. We don't call it mining because we like it to be green. And again, we have a lot of elements that make the technology that we have green. But you really present usable capacity to run everyday applications in. And when you've presented the ability to do so for a month, you get a reward. And X amount of tokens are being minted at the end of the month. Okay. So if that, you, that's why it's called TFT token for our listeners? Yes. A threefold token? Yes. Okay. And what's the total amount of tokens that will be available, the total supply? The ceiling is set at $4 billion. Okay. And again, the, the economy is, is in the end relatively simple. We create them only by having computers online that run this specific OS dedicated, right? Because yes. we need to be able to guarantee security and we need to be able to guarantee that people are not able to get to your data. And again, that's a podcast in itself if and when we want to go there to, to talk about that. So that's the creation of it. Okay. And the usage of it, that completely goes to the older of the device. The usage, there's a number of elements. So the usage don't go to the farmer because we want it to be a utility token. And if and when you want to be a utility token, it cannot be used for payment for services, right? It, it's about you create the utility, you get the reward, and then payment for it cannot end up if you want to be within the legal legislations of countries that have put forward um, tax laws on it, can be used for, for payment because then you would be another type of token, a payment token or whatever, and we don't want to be that. So for all of the payments for consuming that capacity, again, there's burning of tokens. So 35% of the tokens that are being used for consumption are burnt mm-hmm. to create scarcity. Um, 5% goes to a not-for-profit foundation. And then there's 50% back to what I said earlier. This is not a for end users and consumer product. 50% of the actual tokens that are being used for consumption are to incentivize channels, application builders, system integrators, um, DAO developers. I mean, whatever you want to be doing on this utility, mm-hmm. there is an incentive, a grant system that you can tap into okay. to start building on it. Awesome. And again, there's a DAO, the threefold DAO that actually will 
look at your proposal. If when your proposal is good enough, obviously they will allow you to get a grant based on the consumption of this utility. And there's there's a big pot available to yeah start doing any any use case that you know of and can think of today on any existing cloud. Wow! To basically be, be transported and built on on the three foot grid. And again, don't bear, don't forget the tools you do this with. And again, technical terms, but is Docker, Kubernetes, Terraform, all of the existing technologies that people use to interact with the existing cloud. So it's not a different world. It's mm-hmm. just a different engine that enables it to run. Okay. I see that you and the team at Threefold, you guys actually built your own operating system. Can you And you kind of talked a little bit about the um, running specific operating system when you talked about the, the little node or device earlier, but can you break down? Because uh, you went all the way to what? The, the You started from the kernel within Linux, yes? From the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. Again, and, and this is really fundamental. And, and not many people do this because it's it's hard and it doesn't bring the glory in a very fast way. But if and when you want to be, and this is where the, it started, if you really want to go, let's say, and I know Africa is a big topic these days, and I don't want to mention Africa to, to, to get a big number of followers uh, coming to us, but Africa doesn't have any local internet today. And if you think about the fact, and internet means data centers in this case, because they do have networks, right? But if you think about that, all of the market leaders have money enough to do it. Again, building data centers is a difficult task. Building data centers is a capital intense task. It requires people, capital, electricity in large quantities, but, but all of it is doable with the right amounts of money. But they haven't done it. And why? I don't have an answer to the question. I have a thought about why they haven't done it because it's easier to make the cable back to the cable longer and bigger and fatter to get to those data centers which exist in the US, Europe, and Asia. Mm-hmm. And that's what they've done. They've invested in making longer cables, bigger cables, to connect the data centers that they have in the places that they know where they have built those data centers. And to be honest, it's just unfair. And I'm getting a bit non-technical, but it's unfair because it takes away money, it takes away profit, it takes away entrepreneurial challenge, uh, chances, it takes away many things from the countries because you just connect them on a tether, on a long cable mm. towards what we already have. And it, that's not the way. So this whole threefold thought about giving the ability to people, by people, for people, started with the idea. So it needs to be able, this thing needs to be able to run in a city hall in a building which is wind and waterproof somewhere where there is just no knowledge to actually run it. And if you take that stance, then all of these standard OSs are just not an option. And why are they not an option? Because all of the OSs that we know on our laptops, on our TVs, on on everything that we run OSs on, require maintenance and require us to install updates and security patches and bug fixes and whatever. I mean, we do it every day. And if we don't do it, we get the pain of not doing it. So this needed to be a different thing. And that's why we went and and went back to the drawing board and said, okay, so how can we build something that enables back to what I said earlier, the box doesn't do much. The box doesn't have a user interface. It doesn't allow people to interact with it. It goes out and listens or reads, however you want to say it, into a blockchain, what it needs to be doing. So it just needs to expose what's in it, CPU, memory, disks, uh, network, 
whatever it has, register that somehow on that blockchain to get the reward. And again, bigger, bigger rewards. So that needs to happen. But then it just needs to sit there and sort of not have any interaction with its local environment, whether it's local environment in networking or whether it's local environment physical. So you can't log into it. There's no user shell. There's no user GUI. There's no shell. There's no keyboard interface. There's, there's nothing. We, we took that out completely because we didn't want people to be able to interact with it. Secondly, for security purposes and non-administration purposes, we didn't want actual to install this whole operating system on a disk. And again, think about it. So it, it comes, if you turn on the threefold node, we call it a three node. Mm -hmm. The OS is not anywhere near that device. It will load the OS. And again, that's why it needs to be small. That's why it needs to be very efficient. It loads that from a number of places on that utility, on that grid. It will load it into memory. It will run into memory just like any other OS because it will read it from the disk into OS. We just decided that we don't want to install it on the disk because if we install it on the disk, it needs to be maintained. You need to patch it. You need to update it. You need to do anything. Mm -hmm. If you just turn on the machine and it has some way of finding that OS on the grid, loading it in a very smart way because you can't download Windows, where are we? 11, 10, whatever. I, I've not followed. Right. I'm, I'm a Linux man. So, but whatever, a gigabyte plus or two or three or four gigabytes, whatever it is, that takes forever to download. So we've devised a very smart way of making it very modular. And again, that's another podcast if you want that we can do on that. But it downloads it in such a way that it runs it into, me into memory. And then based on whatever needs an update, because we will find flaws, there will be bugs that needs to be squashed and there will be security um, fixes that need to be done. It's just reloading a module in that. It's just reloading a component in that that will be very efficiently downloaded and run into memory. So there's nothing to do and there's nothing to hack. There's nothing to store. There's no malicious code to be installed on that disk because there is no OS on it, right? And then the whole download happens with hashing and, and if or when the hash doesn't match what, what comes down, it doesn't execute it. I mean, there's a lot of security around it. But it's a very different OS than what we know. It, it, it doesn't allow us, human beings, to interact with it. The only thing it knows is that it goes out to a chain mm -hmm. where it needs to see with its identity, which is just a long string of numbers and, 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 and letters. Mm -hmm. And is there anything for me to do in this smart contract? And if it says start a VM, it will start a VM. If it says stop a VM, it will stop a VM. That's the only thing the OS does. Okay. And by eradicating the fact that people can interact with it, we've made it so much more secure than any other OS out there because there's just no people involved. There's no, mm -hmm. on this whole system on the global level, there is no username password storage. Mm -hmm. wow. Anyway. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So, yeah, thank you for unpacking and sharing that. That brings me into my next question. How does your Threefold's partnership with like OwnCloud and some of the others uh, partners tie into the people's internet? How does that like weave in, um, you know? That's Exactly. And again, we're, if you unpack threefold to do that first, it's about 80 people on a global scale of which there are like 75 nerds mm -hmm. that do this. So mm -hmm. we're very much an engineering and R&D organization that have honestly not very good skills in terms of creating uh, user experiences. So like I said, it's in this car, which is called the internet, which has these applications 
we've redone the engine in a very different way mm-hmm. that people can present capacity, create capacity, get benefits of it, and people can rent capacity and run applications on it. But we want other people to innovate on top of this and see that what they can do today on any existing mainstream clouds can be taken and used on this grid as well. And mm-hmm. again, any application can run on a coffee table that you don't have in the home where you are. Mm-hmm. And OwnCloud was just an early adopter because it's a very well-known piece of software. They've got 200 million downloads mm-hmm. of that software and people using it, mm-hmm. paid for and non-paid for, where the utility that they use, the data processing and data storage capabilities, is mostly either on bare metal when people really want to dig in and do it themselves, which you can do on Linux or on, on, on any other operating system, which is fine, or, and that's 80% of it in the end, in VMs in clouds. Now imagine that they can really escape that captured market of doing it in a cloud and doing it in AWS. Again, nothing wrong with AWS. I just want to say that out loud. They've done a fantastic job to make things very reliable and do it. But there's a price tag to it. And again, it's very centralized. Once you go in, you it's very hard to get out. Mm-hmm. We offer the opportunity that now businesses can have their own hardware, which they enable or they, they use this zero OS, this, this threefold OS on, which gives them the same interface to a degree, Kubernetes or Terraform, as they have with these major clouds. And they can have that own cloud experience, which they know very well, on their own box, in their own building, managed autonomously, because that's what they get, because the application is, in the end, self-healing to a degree, mm-hmm. without having to do any of the administration skills. We, we've taken it away. They don't need to do that. They don't have to um, express all of that and have that capability in the house. Wow. But that, we believe, is a game changer. And, and to sort of elaborate and unpack on that a little bit more, that's what we rely on because we've not, we don't want to invent how this utility is going to be used, mm-hmm. how this engine will run this. We want other people to take it forward and build use cases on top of it mm-hmm. and actually express what they want to be doing. And whether that's an own cloud, which is there, whether that is storing NFTs, whether that is running, and that is a really important one, blockchains. There's many, 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 many projects out there that are blockchains that want to innovate on, on certain levels. And again, we all know them, Dash, Casper uh, Labs, Digibyte. I mean, there's plenty of the, the names out there. If people want to participate, they end up, unfortunately, mostly running that piece of software if they want to participate in validation, if they want to participate in being part of that blockchain, by running it in a VM in, again, AWS or in Azure. Wow. And that's not just in line with these decentralization thoughts of the whole blockchain movement. Mm-hmm. Right now, with threefold, and, and this is a big part of what we do today, there is a potential of having a one-click deployment of a Digibyte validator node of a Digibyte blockchain node that you can just launch on the grid on a device that you know in some, it could be your friend, it could be you, it could be somebody else. It's living room, which is the true decentralization that those projects need. And they really love us for that. Again, it's a lot lower, it's a lot less visible, and it's a lot not seen of what we have done, but it actually presents them with the capability to run outside of major clouds in these areas where there is connectivity and electricity on nodes that people 
just present to the grid. Mm-hmm. Wow. Man, thanks for breaking that down and sharing. I just think what you guys and you and your team have created is is incredible, you know, and um, I'm actually going to be getting deeper into in, in my research time into more and more and what you guys have done. In closing, I just wanted to ask you, because I know some of our listeners got to be thinking this, how can our listeners start using, like physically use or access or make use of uh, the people's internet of what you guys have created? Like, where do they go? What do they do? You know, this is a new concept to them. I know for you and your team, you guys are experts in this, but somebody, you know, driving to work or exercising right now, listening to the podcast, how can they access? Where do they go? What do they do? Well, there's the Trivo.io site, which is the landing page on which you can find much information. Again, I don't know if you share this information only verbally or if, if you have a landing page where we can post the links, but we'll see about that. That's more detail. Yeah. But there's a whole library and a wiki that explains how to do this. Again, you need to not be brave. That's not what I want to say, but you need to have a little bit of a technical heart to be able to to get into this. It, it is not, and I, I really want to say this out loud, it is not more difficult or complex than what any other major cloud is. Okay. Because for the people that know and people that listen and the people that engage with the existing clouds, I mean, they are fairly complex as well. I mean, you need to know what you're doing. And again, like I said in the beginning, I ran around with screwdrivers in data centers and I, I pulled cables and unplugged cables and I did really all of the the, the basic work in a data center and, and, and literally, well, for Europe then, because the US was, was earlier, but in Europe built, I think, the first five in the first five major cities with a large American firm that was early on into Europe and developing that. And I've seen it. And it is hard work and it is complex and having a GUI sort of trying to hide most of the complexity works, but, but you still need to know, I can terms, what it is, a web server, a database, a load balancer, a firewall, right? All of those things come forward and the networking concept that you need to know, I mean, they are complex. So it's not that we took things and made it more complex, not at all. We took it back and eradicated a lot of complexity because there's a lot of things that happen automatically if and when you leave a lot of the complexity out and if and when you don't do the centralized bits and pieces that these large data centers do managing and believe me in this managing these devices that exist in homes libraries telephone masts in a way that they all stitch together by reading what they need to be doing in the blockchain and not having administrators log in, not having to control. Again, the blockchain is a beautiful thing. Just one more note, sorry, I'm, I'm taking it down. I never do, but having a blockchain as your source of truth for what you deploy is the best documentation decision that you can take. Because it's immutable and always a pent, which means by definition, you've got a 100% accurate history of what happened mm-hmm. from T equals zero until now. Relying on the person an administrator to administer what he has done in 100% accuracy is a very tedious job. And again, I've done it. I've failed it. I've worked with people trying to do it. And it's just not something that humans are very good at, whether we like to hear it or not. Mm -hmm. Using a blockchain for that is, is like the ultimate solution to the problem where if and when you don't describe it in a 100% accurate way to start with, it's not going to work. It's just not going to work. So, Putting the whole thing upside down makes it very 
easy also, and that's again back to the question where you said, how do you get started? Because yes, you need to learn a little bit of an automation tool, whether it's Kubernetes or Terraform, but that with our technology now gets translated into smart contracts into a blockchain. That blockchain will in the end have the instructions ready for those nodes to actually execute what needs to be executed. Mm -hmm. And that's all it is. Okay. It's not an end user and an end consumer ready product today. There's a few use cases experience that are there and there's some form of video conferencing that you can do. There's some form of data storage that you can do and what have you. That's it. And we hope, and we're really very active in terms of getting system integrators, developers, and the whole development community to now adopt this and to start creating fantastic experiences for all of you to enjoy. Okay. But if and when you want to get started, then have a look at it. Okay. Go to the threefold.io website. Okay. There's somewhere a link that says go to the library because it's called library, and then library.threefold.io will give you all of the details that you need. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, we'll definitely have all of those links on uh, the podcast episode page for today. And uh, Vayden, we, we just thank you for coming out. Thank you for, uh, we have, this is our first ever rocket scientist and uh, co-founder of a project. Happy to be here. You know, it's a pleasure. You're welcome back anytime. And I know this is an audio uh, audio episode. In the future, I'm going to be doing video on YouTube and things like that. So maybe we'll have to do another episode and we can, uh, you know, share uh, some more some more with everybody. Thank you very much, Michael. It was a pleasure to be here and a pleasure to talk to you. Absolutely. Thank you for coming out. And uh, if you like today's episode, definitely like and subscribe to the podcast, show your support, and chime in here tomorrow for another special episode. Thanks for tuning in to New to Crypto Podcast. If you like the episode, be sure to follow and subscribe. You can listen to every episode on all major platforms. Have an interest in being on the show or want advertising? Reach out at newtocrypto.io. Head over to our site, newtocrypto.io, to access the resources mentioned in each episode. Until next time, remember to navigate the crypto landscape with pinpoint accuracy.